Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck. I host the Chronicles, and my day job is Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for the Australia and New Zealand region. Uh, welcome to episode 71 of the Chronicles. Uh, joining me today for a very topical conversation around innovation districts and all things cities is Niall Cunningham, who is Director of Cities uh, Advisory at WSP-based here in Melbourne, Australia. Niall, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem, Adam. Thank you very much for the invitation. Pleasure. Uh, our listeners are uh, scattered all over the world. Um, your accent is from another part of that, but for those not from this part of uh, the world, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so as you've introduced me, my name is Niall Cunningham, Director of Cities Advisory with WSP. And I guess I spend a lot of my day job um, searching around what makes the the question around what makes great cities and uh, work with the clients to really try to define with them what makes great cities and how we kind of shape um, planning master planning statutory planning etc uh, to ensure that we do create great places across our, our cities so that that's the day job and then uh, for fun as a sideline i do podcasts with, uh, with nice people like yourself <laughs> well thanks uh thanks for sort of uh, joining us today, um, Niall. I've just realised uh, we 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 almost overlapped there for a period. I was uh, I was in consulting with Arab for almost a decade uh, in Brisbane, leaving in two thousand and nine. You were there for a good seven years. You've spent a fair bit of time in the private sector consulting around cities, a lot in master planning. Um, it looks here like you've been in Australia for a little while. What uh, if we would, if we're sort of just to go back and do a very quick summary, bringing us up to sort of you know beginning of this year pre-COVID, what's been uh, what's been the the city shaping movement like in Australia through uh, through your eyes? Yeah, I, I guess coming from um, you know Europe, which is possibly more settled in terms of the city developments. I mean, the transition to Australia is um, has been quite invigorating and exciting. I mean. Uh, the, the the population growth in this country is is really quite something, or, or certainly has been up to sort of pre-COVID. Um, and in in my space in the area that I work to to witness such rapid, um, exciting city expansion from the centre right out to the suburbs um, is really quite something as a professional to be involved with. Um, and you know, I, I think. The, I, I've witnessed some really um, excellent ambition across the major cities in Australia. And yeah, as I say, it's, it's a very exciting time to be in the business that I'm in, uh, in, in the country that I'm in, and I guess helping to put my shoulder to the wheel and, and uh, help with the development of cities in, in a very positive manner. Our cities... Uh, if I can use the terminology, have kind of been hammered over the the past number of months with this global pandemic. Um, it's seen some very interesting um, sort of uh, happenings going on. Like, for example, the suburbs have been alive. Um, I'm a I'm a suburban guy. Uh, I live in sort of you know suburbia. 
Uh, I've never seen the suburbs, you know, so so active and alive and our neighbourhood centres and suburban centres uh, have been um, busy, even though small business, of course, has, has had a, a tragic time. Uh, and and the, the downtown, the CBD, almost uh, almost empty. Can you can you give us a uh, a quick recap, uh, a summary of as as a city shaper, uh, your observations uh, and and thoughts uh, from the past couple of months? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd agree with the observation around, I guess, that exodus of, of CBD. Um, I mean, I think, I guess, it, particularly in Melbourne, which is obviously given we're, we're all in lockdown, is where I've borne witness most of all to that that change that has happened since COVID. And, um, you know, where, where there's uncertainty, as there was at the very outset of COVID, I think, you know, there was people who sort of were nervous and um and concerned and retreated into their homes as advised by the government um, to, to really um, understand what was happening around them. So a very disconcerting time for everybody. I mean, you know, there were so many questions and so few answers on the whole COVID piece that um, the advice was stay at home, keep yourself isolated. And, you know, pe- people in fairness, I guess, rallied to the call and, and did that. And, and the consequence of course then was an emptying of our, our city centers. Um, I think that Melbourne, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about density in due course, but I think Melbourne's quite fortunate to have um, suburbs that have, I guess, such generous spaces, particularly kind of open and public spaces where, you know, you you can retreat back to the suburbs, um, but actually be out there and and socially distanced, I guess, um, within the the the, the public ground spaces. So I mean, I, I like you have never seen our public spaces as active as I have in the last sort of six to eight weeks. I mean, a lot of that is people have taken their sort of gym routines. Obviously, the gyms have been closed, uh, their walk routines, whatever, and have really sort of started to exercise all of that and now out in the public realm. Um, and it's it's been really good to see how, I guess, the urban structure of Melbourne has served that pandemic quite well. Um, and I guess the other piece is it's kind of a self-perpetuating um, thing in that because the public spaces are so active for such long periods. Uh, and we've got to remember we're in kind of heading into winter where the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting longer. So uh, the fact that the spaces are so active, it, it means that people feel more confident and comfortable um, being in those spaces because other people are there and there's that kind of passive surveillance and sense of kind of community security. Um, and I think there's definitely a lesson to be learned there in that. And, um, you know, that's kind of one key observation. And the other piece, I guess, is people. So we we've, we, we sometimes forget uh, or maybe lure ourselves, particularly in this sort of technological age, um, we lure ourselves into a false sense that perhaps we we can do without that kind of human-to-human interaction. And I think, if anything, we've seen now that um, people crave... A, you know, in, in different ways and at different um, levels, but people crave each other. And I've been encouraged to see, you know, that yearning. And I think there's a lot to be sort of thought about when we think about planning our cities, about creating that connection and creating great cities that that allow that connection to occur. Niall, is there something that, uh, something or some things that concern you with respect to, us slipping back to business as usual that maybe isn't as good as it is now. Do, do you ever have those moments as a, as a sort of a, a city shaper uh, that 
oh, I wish it could be like this forever. Uh, are there any elements out there in, in sort of the, the economic, social or environmental sort of sphere of topics that kind of you're a little bit concerned about as we slowly transition back to a bit of what was before, maybe a bit of new? Yeah, interesting question. And probably a bit too early to call it because, I mean, you know, we haven't really started to transition in a meaningful way to anything yet. I mean, there's a lot of talk about transitioning back to business as usual, but we still are kind of in that kind of heightened um, COVID alerts. You know, we're starting to see, from a professional perspective, I guess, starting to see um, talk and more conversation about how we kind of get back to business as usual. But, but not quite there yet. Um, so possibly too early to say. I mean, I think um, there's an old rule of thumb, anything beyond a decade, and we tend to sort of forget. So, you know, the, sort of the human memory seems to have this kind of decade thing and anything outside of 10 years past, we forget about it. And it's almost like a lesson we have to learn again. So, I mean, I think what I've, what's what's been encouraging is to see governments step up and really think about um, some things in Australia that have been kind of um, danced around for a while. So things, I guess, like, uh, you know, social affordable housing and where we're talking about these kind of shovel ready type projects, which is a big focus for particularly, I guess, those agencies in government that are looking, uh, that are responsible for, I guess, the construction industry. They're really looking to some of these issues that have been out there for a while and through policy, whatever, um, ha haven't quite landed. So, so that's a positive. I guess my fear is that the, the time is now and you know there's always kind of the right time and the right moment and I feel that it, it is now and it is 2020 and perhaps the fear is that as we return to normality the, the prioritization of, of some of the things that we we should have tackled historically haven't have an opportunity to do now don't get tackled and as we return to business as usual they they become kind of you know yesterday's news and suddenly not not such a high priority for government so I think because there's been such a disruption to society, it, it make it, it sort of creates a great opportunity for change. Um, but I think my my fear, I guess, would be that we don't seize that opportunity and make the change that's required. Because I think people would be far more palatable for change now than perhaps when we start to return to business as usual. So I've got a I've got a big question now, and um, uh, big as in it's it's kind of going to be long, not in me asking it, but I think in your response and, and probably my sub responses to your responses. So what I want us to do is I want us to sort of virt virtually map out uh, kind of like, you know, let, let, let's just go from the Rio Earth Summit, right? Rio Earth Summit. What was that? 92? 92, mm. I think it was Rio. Concept of sustainability comes alive um i'll i'll just sort of speak from my perspective and i'm, I'm going to get you to plug any gaps uh that that i miss um and at the end of this i'm going to sort of ask you the pointed question so we come at the world comes away from rio let's do sustainability uh for a long time i would i would say a good 10 20 years you know the uk goes off and does its sort of sustainability thing in the US. Australia, I think it was Bob Hawke era, Bob Hawke comes back and says, yes, our response is ecological sustainable development. So this whole ESD thing was born in Australia. In the context of 
and this is in the context of infrastructure and urban development and transportation you know this, this whole um environmental thing becomes strong we we want to manage water we want to conserve it want to protect air quality and noise and acoustics environmental impact assessment you know is, is, is sort of a common tool and methodology with approval processes that that continues to gather steam um sustainability we start you know that that terminology that word sustainability frameworks sustainability strategies they really start to pick up um and kind of then we see i mean you know the smart cities council here has been around since 2016 but you know let's rewind back to maybe 2012 13 14 you know this smart cities thing is is gathering ahead of steam um, innovation precincts, you know, kind of pop up or knowledge precincts, you know, you've got health things and education things. So in terms of physical city making, vertical and horizontal infrastructure and all the places in between, there's there's been this journey, you know, since 92 of wanting to make it better. Oh, the thing, actually, one of the, one of the big ones I missed, of course, was resiliency, right? You know, yep. we, we suddenly want resiliency in there. And I, I don't want to exclude, you know, cultural precincts and those kind of words, but you know what I'm getting at here. There's been this evolution that growth um, needs to be better. Um, we've been hanging off and creating frameworks and blueprints and delivering projects that respond to these theoretical ideas. So, so here's now my sort of question which includes you responding to anything I've just said. But the question is, so, so we're right here right now. The world has been brought to its knees uh, with, with the coronavirus. I think my question, Niall, is has any of that good stuff that we've been trying to advance over the past 20 years, has it, uh, has it been relevant? Has it made a difference? Uh, and the second part to my question is, um, kind of like what's next i mean is there a sustainability 2.0 now what what do we think we may be learning or have learned that maybe disrupts or changes what we think good has been over the past couple of decades if that makes sense how's that for a question <laughs> that's, that's 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 no small question right there um yeah look <laughs> The, the, gosh, where, where to start with that one? Um, in response to your first part of the question, um, it probably too soon just yet, right? In terms of, you know, has, has all of that stuff that we've been planning for um, proved useful um, or proved, you know, whether it's resilience or sustainability or, or whatever. Um, I, I think the world, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, you know, there have been a few people out there who have said, you know, the next big global threat is pandemic. And um, I think people have said, look, crazy. I mean, Bill Gates, of course, was was um, famous, you know, well, I guess was celebrated in the last few weeks. I mean, he predicted this a couple of years back where he said, you know, the next big, big threat for the planet is going to be some sort of a sort of a health pandemic. And here we are. Um, I don't think in certainly in sort of that political sphere, um, there was a lot of kind of foresight or, or sort of thought given to how we would cope. And, and I think we've seen that play out. There's, there's a lot of kind of um, 
reactive planning uh, to something that landed on our shores and we had to kind of pony up and 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 respond now that's kind of so nobody really saw it coming but but i guess then if you're sort of asking me which i think you are has all of the planning that we've been implementing over the past whatever 10 20 years in australia has that has that helped prepare us for where we're at we're at right now i think you would have to look at where the numbers are at and and again recognizing that everybody's predicting it's not over it's going to go on for quite a while there may well be another dip etc etc another spike but where we are right now in terms of how our numbers are comparing with the with the rest of the world um you could either say it's a very very fortunate um occurrence that we we our numbers are a lot lower than elsewhere in, on, on the planet or you could say that actually some of that sort of planning that we've done has has served as well. And I guess, you know, an obvious place to start would be um, health and, uh, you know, our hospitals and, and the capability across the health sector to basically be able to to detect and identify and and care for people uh, who who have um, suffered as a result of of the of the pandemic. Um, I guess the second one is we, we all thought that the world was going to end when we all went from our offices with great kind of broadband connectivity mm. back home and mm. work from home mm. and have a guess what? I mean, it, yeah. it, would, it would appear that, you know, NBN and other infrastructure has served us probably better than we all thought it would, if we're honest. Um, and I, I would think I, I've heard since I arrived in this country, a lot of criticism around NBN and the fact that it was this and it was that and, and you know, none of it too complimentary. But certainly in, in my experience, and I'm doing everything, including this over, I guess, a home network, I've, I've had um, excellent service and reliable service. And I think we're saying productivity from home has actually been better than most people um, expected. Um, I think there'll definitely be, like on the resilience piece, I think from this point forward, um, I think I would hope to see government, you know, almost putting in an extra piece around, are we, are we thinking pandemic proof and what that means in terms of how we plan our cities and spaces. And it's definitely going to drive density because I think one of the, one of the elements, particularly in New York, or at least, you know, it's, it's too early to determine whether it was a contributing factor, but certainly people are saying, you know, is that city too dense? Are there enough sort of spaces for people to be, to be socially isolated? And perhaps because we're at an earlier stage of evolution than most other parts of the world that has served as well. So I don't know that that's necessarily planning. It's more just where Australia is at in terms of its kind of... Um, city evolution compared to others so you know it's kind of a mixed bag i think you, you couldn't you couldn't say it's all down to pure good fortune that we are where we are i think some of it is good good planning um it may not have been planning specifically with the purpose of pandemic in mind but i think it has served as well and i certainly think from this point forward there's going to be a lot more thought about you know as well as climate resilience and other kind of resilience matters i think pandemic is going to be front row and center and it's going to be hard to forget that i think given it has you know we still remember 1992 2006 gfcs we're still talking about them we talk about great depressions in in the 1930s and i think this is going to be one of these kind of seminal moments in in the world's history i guess where we go pandemic 2020 and how we kind of plan for that those kind of things not happening again i um Thanks for responding to that. I know it was a mega question. Yeah. Um, I, I was reading an article earlier this morning, which included some, some very, you know, eye catching imagery. It was uh, posted under 
the kind of title of something like, you know, is this the perfect post COVID-19 sort of city? Is this what the world's going to look like? You know, trains and open space and um, vegetation is rehabilitated. There's wind turbines kind of, I immediately went back to images of 20 years ago, you know, with those early visioning processes of big, massive master plan communities and cities and Dongtangs and other things around the world. Um, and I asked myself, gee, you know, ha have we, have, have we like really not come that far at all in terms of our imagination? Uh, and I wasn't, I was trying not to be harsh on on sort of you know the 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 work that was was done by this this firm, but um, it did get me thinking about just the fundamentals. And you know, I, I'm I'm not a practicing you know city shaper or planner anymore, but you know, I do remember those days for quite some time that you know there were those core things that we wanted to advance. You know, mm. good sustainable transit, walking biking, you know, grow food local, you know, renewable energy. The, 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 there's, the, there's the same suite of sort of solutions and strategies that we've all been trying to advocate for for a long time. Um, talk to me talk to me now, Niall, uh, as much as you can about the, the future. And let's talk about innovation districts. We know they've been around for a while. The first mm. thing I thought to myself is, does does sort of the current situation you know potentially you know create a higher demand or or or, or not there's there's talk about um you know we need to get back to more local manufacturing in australia there's talk about you know knowing our our our, our food print or our our footprint around food and supply chains more um you know shopping locally there's kind of a lot of these fundamental good wholesome somewhat analog principles that we've been trying to embrace for a long time. Um, however, you know, we're, 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 we're in 2020 and, and I mean, I'm going to be controversial by saying this, but it's just a quip, but you know, Zoom has held the Australian economy together <laughs> for the last, <laughs> last two months. I mean, I don't want anyone to quote me on that, but you know, it, it, it kind of feels like that. Right. So yeah. we're, we're in this really interesting, I think we're in this really interesting time around, you know, high tech, uh, we can't live without data or connectivity yet, you know, let's go grow food out on the footpath kind of thing. It's this really interesting moment in time. And I don't want to say clash of ideas and concepts because I think they can beautifully sort of survive together, but what's your take on the future and technology and innovation in our communities and cities and neighborhoods and precincts and, and, and sort of that reconciliation with sort of the, the village mentality that's kind of served us well over the past few months. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably take a step back to some comments we kind of covered earlier, which was, you, you know, you mentioned resilience and, you know, the sort of pandemic proof future. And, and I mean, one of the weaknesses we have seen, uh, not unique to Australia, but we've, we've certainly seen it in Australia, is that supply chain issue. And, you know, that kind of reliance on, things from other parts of the world to really, um, you know, s support, I guess, the, the, the lifeblood of the Australian economy. And that's, that's something I think, you know, that when I, s I spend a lot of time you know, looking at sort of innovation districts in Australia and where they're at and what they do. And when we talk about kind of knowledge economy and 
building that local resilience in terms of manufacturing, whether it's, you know, whether it's engineering or medical or whatever, um, I think now more than ever, it's, it's, it is critical to sort of think about how we create those kind of um, activities homegrown in that kind of, you know, village feel, as you, as you've said. Um, so I think now more than ever, it's really, if we're, if our future is to consider kind of pandemic proof um, measures, then absolutely supply chain and that ability to kind of recreate um, jobs and advanced manufacturing, farm or whatever, um, to support the communities, the community that is Australia, it's critical, I guess, that, you know, we think about that and we provision for that. And I think happily, we're already on that journey um, in terms of a, a number of innovation districts up and down the country. Perhaps we've been in at, at sometimes a bit lethargic about progressing them. And I would hope that the pandemic, if I was to look at some sort of positivity or a, a positive slant on it, that um, the pandemic pandemic would really be a shot in the arm for people to go this stuff is important and we can see why it's important because we've kind of lived the real world of experience lived the real world experience of um of why it's important and in 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 the innovation districts that i'm currently involved with i am absolutely seeing government i guess step up going right we nearly need to kind of move these things forward because knowledge jobs um knowledge economy um advanced you know homegrown manufacturing and all of the other bits and pieces i guess that kind of feed into that whole innovation concept are important and we need to get it up and running um and it's seen as a real i mean you know there's lots of kind of um i guess pros out there around the value to the economy of innovation districts and and it's it's no secret so i think government are seeing this as a way to really kind of catalyze um getting the economy back up on its feet it won't be the unique ingredient but it certainly has the potential to be a significant uh, contributor to getting the economy back stimulated and moving again can i can i build on that and and can we just nerd out on policy for a few minutes um you know, policy is kind of important and, you know, we've certainly got some clear policy signals at a national level on some issues. We've got at a state or territory level, some strong policy, you know, maybe we're not all aligned up state or state by state, territory by territory. Um, Talk to me about urban development and urban growth for a moment. You know, we, we, we did have throughout, 20 what was last year 2019 throughout 2019 kind of um somewhat murmurs well that's a bit unfair we we did have some processes under play at a national level around like population strategy settlement strategy there's always been that lingering you know big australia kind of agenda when it comes to, to 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 growth and cities um do do we have a clear policy agenda nationally? Do you feel as a cities guy that we have a national cities agenda? Can I, can I start with that big question? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, well, I mean, we, we, we have, or we had a minister for cities and, and I guess still doing in a slightly different um, incarnation. So it suggests that, um, that, that there is, I guess, a central position on, on cities. Um, and really, I guess a lot of the activity or stimulus in the city space is driven at the state level. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we, where, you know, I guess feds set the scene 
you can argue, I guess, how effective that is in terms of how it filters in to the states, and it's probably dependent on, on um, you know, what, what the political persuasion is uh, that, that prevails in each state at, at a particular time. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I work predominantly on sort of the East Coast, so Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria, and um, I kind of feel that there's probably policy saturation to a certain extent on cities. Um, mm. And, you know, if we think about kind of where cities are delivered, it's it's a number of levels down from that key policy. So, I mean, how we would approach it is absolutely we need to acknowledge policy and say, this is what we're trying to do within a district or a precinct or whatever. Um, and it, it does tick the box of policy. So in the case of Melbourne, for example, I mean, a key um, calling card would be Plan Melbourne policy document for the city in terms of that grand vision and how all the cogs kind of work together but but it's it, it's really it's it's a number of levels down in terms of getting into the granularity when you get down into districts and precincts and particularly innovation districts um, mm. where you know it, it's almost it's good to have policy as a reference but it's not necessarily a driving force. I mean, it needs to be something kind of at the local authority level, um, possibly a kind of a, um, a development agency, a state development agency level where you're almost creating a, a subset through like a governance structure or, or um, a governance group who can really kind of take that policy, but I guess define some initiatives and perhaps even have some sort of regulatory or um, legislative power to implement. Um, so as I say, it's kind of the next level down from, from policy and it gets into kind of legislation, regulation, planning, um, statutory planning, precinct structure planning type policy, uh, and then using those as drivers to push through. But you know, it, any successful district that I've been involved with, it actually comes down to, I guess, a coalition of people who are really going to act as ambassadors uh, for their respective organizations and drive this stuff through. And I think policy is kind of the, it, 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 it's, it's easy to point to policy and say it's good or it's bad or it's not working or we need more of it, but there's a lot of it out there. I think, you know, where I've seen success, it's actually down to people who are really committed to the cause and to work collaboratively together um, through what is a very difficult process to implement um, precincts and city shaping projects on the ground. And for me, that's where actually the success is rather than it being solely pointing to policy and going good policy, bad policy. the the world has been changing since since the beginning of time and policy is sometimes ahead of where it should be most oftentimes it's slightly behind where it should be but that's just the nature i guess of of the the business of the world so yeah uh, my own view probably enough policy out there is it is it perfect no will it ever be definitely not but i think you know in terms of implementation i think it's down kind of a lot further down the um that kind of chain i guess in terms of how we get this stuff implemented on the ground so let, let's pick up on the implementation piece, Nile. I mean, Brookings Institution in the US, 2009, published the rise of innovation districts. So mm. in some way, not a new concept. Um, certainly in more recent times, 20 kind of 14 through 17, the, 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 the 12 principles really start to rise, uh, yep. you know, Boston Innovation District, Kendall Square. Yep. We sort of start to see these US ones. Australia starts picking up on this, um, sort of innovation districts here and there. Where do you feel that we're at from an execution point of view? I often hear it's more theatre 
than mm. reality. Is, is that a harsh criticism? You know, is it just the fact that we've got good ones and not so good ones? Or how would you sort of pitch us, mm. uh, Australia, as sort of executing on, you know, what, what is and what was, you know, the, the true innovation district concept, you know, people, knowledge, place, and yeah, sure, tech and data, but you know, um, place and and people and knowledge seem to be those those fundamental underpinning principles. Yeah. Um, look, great question. I'd probably start with the the faraway fields can seem very green, uh, I guess, concept. So you know, it, when when we talk about all of those places that are not Australia. Um, and you know, you mentioned Candle Square. There's there's Mind in Milan. There's um, you know, I guess a number of them over in Toronto, South Lake Union, etc. And we we always sort of hear great um, media coverage of how well things are going and where they're at. But but some of those, I guess, in terms of where they're at in their um, life cycle evolution, let's say, not dissimilar to where some places in um, in Australia are at. Talking about, I guess, the home shores. There are a range of districts up and down and across the country that are at various kind of stages of progression. Um, some of them are quite conceptual. Others have more substance on the ground and I guess, um, yeah, probably more um, physical uh, manifestation of the innovation district than perhaps others. But um, I mean, I'll give a couple of examples. So worked, I worked on the Westmead Innovation District and we put together that proposition around what the Innovation District should be. Um, and, you know, to use, to use your Brookings reference, that idea, I guess, of the economic physical network assets and that sort of holy trinity um, to create the, the magic dust in the middle. But if we look at Westmead, I mean, there's already a lot going on there before you put that kind of innovation lens on in terms of that networking assets, the physical assets, um, and, you know, economic assets. So the hospitals and the hospital network in that area um, they are already doing a lot of things that you could very easily say, well, this, this is all kind of good stuff from that innovation district's um, uh, activity kind of space. So I would say they have been on the journey. They may not have kind of put that innovation lens on it, but they are now and and i guess you could say yes there's a lot of physical manifestation over the last 20 years to get them where they are but they're on a journey and they absolutely have ambitions you know that the i guess the the sum of the whole will be bigger than the individual parts and have great ambitions to really kind of put uh, a lot of energy into aligning themselves with particular partners and bringing that physical manifestation to the next level and of course one of the big moves there is to align themselves with Sydney University so you've got that kind of anchor plus model in terms of the, the university. Go go down south and you look at things like um, Clayton again uh, you know over at Monash quite active quite busy um, doing a lot of kind of good research developments and industry based and, and you know there is a knowledge economy over there and, and it is having an impact on the um, on I guess that economic output so you'd say yeah probably uh, equal to Westmead very different things but but um, equal to Westmead in terms of where they're at whereas go to Fisherman's Bend and, and the employment precinct and GMH very conceptual for, for for the moment but a lot of existing network and physical assets down in Fisherman's Bend that really there's already partnerships happening between businesses down there this is about kind of catalyzing that giving it a front door and then i guess moving it into the next um the next realm so you know it, it depends on where we're talking about i think what we're seeing here is 
certainly districts that are on the right journey. Um, I don't think you'll ever get to the end point. I think every, you know, every district is always at a kind of, the whole concept of innovation district is it's, uh, to me, it's a constant change. So it never stops. Um, I think we're doing okay. I think we're on the right path. Um, you, you might be perhaps, yeah, in some instances say some of it is a bit more branding than substance, but, but I think, you know, we're probably no less guilty, I guess, than any other part of the world in terms of how we are trying to set these things up. I think you need to create that vision um, and you need to back the vision and you need people who will really kind of row in behind that vision and make it a reality. And I think for me in Australia, there's good vision there and various different districts are at various different stages of achieving that vision. I think it's probably how I'd, I'd respond. Okay, I've got two questions left, Niall. The one I'm going to throw at you now is, is kind of sort of the, the last of the, of the you know, serious questions and then we'll sort of finish with a bit of a, you know, what, what does the year look like for you? But, um, you know, you're no stranger to uh, the framework, uh, the, the, the sort of the strategy, um, metrics, indicators, um, I just want to quickly get your take on measuring outcomes for a moment. You know, when I was in practice, you know, 15, 17, 18 years ago, you'd always get to the end of writing a strategy or some sort of a, uh, you know, a strategic plan for a, you know, a development or infrastructure project. And that last section was always like, you know, measurement and reporting. This This idea that all the stuff we said we want to do it's going to make a difference and we're going to be able to show you, right? Here it is. It's made a difference. And you know, here's what we're going to measure it against. Here's the metrics and indicators. Can you, can you give me a quick sort of summary on how you feel we are going in terms of the practice of measuring performance Mm. when it comes to sort of building our cities, growing our cities and precincts and things like that, you know, measuring actual performance and going, see this, you know, there's the numbers. This is what's good, bad, or in between. Yes, very interesting question. Almost like you knew where to poke me there. <laughs> um, I guess that's for so for me. Um, the I guess a lot of the analytics around um, investment and return on investment comes down to kind of dollar and cents in terms of a direct relationship between I invest money in what is the return on investment I get out of that, right? And I guess it's, you know, to kind of use property parlance, you know, I I buy a property, I get planning on it, uh, I might build a building on it, I sell the property and the return on my investment is the difference between what I bought it for and what I sold it for. So kind of that linear relationship between input and, and output. When we talk about cities and and good city development, it is there are a whole lot of kind of indirect returns on investment um, that I acknowledge are very difficult to um, evaluate and capture. Um, but nonetheless, I think it's remiss of us when we're talking about investment and return on investment, it's remiss of us if we don't try capture what those benefits are. So, mm. for example, we, we talk about in innovation districts, that sort of um, catalyst effect. So how do you measure? Uh, and, and you know, th- this is a, an accepted science in the world of people who kind of um, write a lot of philosophy around innovation districts. How, how do you measure that investment into a site? 
and you know, by let's say a state government and building that site and then that site being responsible for catalyzing a district and bringing in blue chip companies from all over the world and building a knowledge economy around that site. And it, you know, the, I don't think that our assessment of that is as sophisticated as it should be. And, mm-hmm. and I guess from a, you know, particularly from a government perspective, you know, governments are naturally, this is a global phenomenon, not unique to Australia, but governments are naturally quite conservative. But I do think we kind of miss something on the balance sheet if we don't sort of acknowledge that if we get that, if we get the investment right and the development right in these catalyst sites, then, you know, the, the benefit to the broader economy um, should be recognized in some way, shape or form. And I think that's critical because Australia, up until recent times, I guess, you know, that, that GDP per capita, we were, it, it was a sort of a declining trend rather than something that was stable or increasing. Now we, we, we do seem to have stabilized it a little bit in terms of the, the value of GBD per capita, but the whole idea of this kind of innovation district and knowledge economy, et cetera, is really to kind of get that trend back up and running on, on the positive. And particularly with COVID now, I think we're going to see an even bigger need for, for, for that to happen. So, I would like to see that analysis being more sophisticated than possibly it is at the moment. And I'm I'm saying that kind of in a glib almost way. And I, I do appreciate that it's it's very difficult to to make some of those connections, but but I think we have to go there because then I think we'd be able to justify good investment into the right type of city shaping projects. I'm 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 virtually high fiving you there, <laughs> if you if you can't tell. Um that's uh that that's brilliant thank you um brings me to the last question uh upbeat looking forward nile what are you what 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 are you getting excited about in terms of the next 12 months what are you looking forward to I've, I say to my team regularly, um, our, our job is, is glass half full optimist. So I'm, I probably get more excited about stuff than I should. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I need to keep uh, the optimist's hat on. So I'm, I'm excited about, I guess, I, I see government really sort of reflecting on the things that matter at the moment. Um, and I am, I am hopeful that, um, as I say, there's, there's probably enough policy out there, but I'm hopeful that I'm going to see a lot more meaningful engagement with policy and I guess driving some, some critical things um, that matter to society. So, uh, you know, that idea of kind of equality and kind of low cost entry and, and community based, I guess, initiatives that, that make our cities accessible to all and, and, and everything, you know, there's, there's a big drive in Melbourne at the moment around sort of the homeless piece and, and built to rent and social and affordable housing. And I think that's really important because the, the best for my own, again, speaking kind of personally, this, the parts of cities that I enjoy the most is where there's a really diverse range of people in them. And, and I think it has been to the detriment of, of quarters or districts in our cities where we, we kind of build these um, these parts of cities that kind of are, are exclude of a lot of that diverse mix. And I hope now that I see government moving to really reflect on that and create um, initiatives and incentives that really encourage both the sort of private as well as public investment to create great cities. And I think that's what I'm most excited about now that I'm starting to see that happen. But I think, as I said, is at the outset here, I mean, 
I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it and also slightly nervous that if we don't do it now, um, you know, in another year's time, there might be a higher priority that suddenly takes precedence and we might have missed that opportunity. So it's all about timing and I am hopeful um, that the timing is right. Well, I certainly share some of those um, key opportunities that I think are here for the taking now, but, but likewise, I'm equally you know, uh, concerned about timing as well, because things are certainly very fluid and can change quickly. But look, um, uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, that conversation, Niall. Hopefully our, our listeners have as well. Uh, again, joining us today, uh, Niall Cunningham, uh, Director of WSP's City Advisory here in Australia, based out of Melbourne. Niall, thanks so much for joining us today on The Chronicles. Not at all, Adam. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, uh, if you're not subscribing to The Chronicles, you can do so. Head to your favourite place or platform where you uh, get your podcasts. You'll find us there. Just search up The Smart Cities Chronicles. You can also just head straight to our website where all our episodes are, smartcitieschronicles.com. My name is Adam Beck, host of The Chronicles. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Uh, In the meantime, uh, stay safe, healthy. Uh, and full of optimism. Thanks for joining us.